the Beer Bottle Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW, or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, Professor of Economics at Oregon State University, and with me, as always, is Jeff Allworth, author of many tomes, including the Beer Bible. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. We are joining each other via Zoom, for Canadians' sake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, old men with busy schedules. That's right. I got back from my my uh, my lovely time off, but we still haven't been quite as reliable on this front as I'd hoped. But here we are. We're here today. Turns out that when you just go f off for a month, that uh, things kind of pile up, and you got to take care of business when you get yeah. back. Huh? Yeah, I knew that was going to happen, but it was still worth it. Well, that's good. Yeah, and uh, because. Uh, everyone wants to know what the weather's like. I'm looking out the window. It's kind of actually a little bit sunny today after a yeah. deluge yesterday. So I'm not sure when this will actually drop, but it's uh, mid-March right now. Actually, we're one day from the Ides of March as we record. And it is still dead winter, man. As I'm looking at it, it's 49 <laughs> degrees. I mean, it, by the way, know. it's Pi Day. Yeah, it is recording. Pi. There you are. So there happy you. Pi Day. For happy Pi Day. Yeah. Folks, you broke. Uh, yeah, I know. I um, I had to drive down I five yesterday, and my car was mostly, I think, swimming. There wasn't much contact with my tires on the road. Yeah, yeah, it's just been amazing. so. You just kind of hope that you know physics keeps you in straight line, what the car wants to do. So hopefully, it'll keep doing it. That's true. Pretty straight. Uh, those are the worst. Those days are the worst. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, normally at this point in the in the year, uh, we would have all the trees would be in blossom, and I, my allergies would be kicking in. But I mean, the the daffodils are barely out. The daphnies are not really going yet. I mean, it's like it's still winter. Yeah. So yeah, spring will come soon enough. I hear that we're gonna have like a sixty degree day at the end of the week. So uh, hold your horses. It's coming. I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, but anyway, I, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of nice. Uh, it makes me like summer more, which I normally hate, but I'm starting to pine for the sun, which is still <laughs> rare. So it's not a terrible thing. Uh, that's too funny. Well, I'm off to jolly old England in uh, in a couple of weeks to see my dear old mom and my sister. I know. That's awesome. I mean, I so- I only know because you told me before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to go see our uh, beloved Arsenal. That's, um, that's going to be the highlight of the trip. Me and my uh-huh. son and my wife too, but she's just there because she doesn't want to miss out. So you're just taking the one boy, not the two. It's taking the one boy, not the two. The yeah. man. The other boy is a man now doing his own thing. That's right. Well, he'll always be your boy. So yeah. So what else is new? We are on the blog about to do something very cool. I, I have a new sponsor uh breakside brewing and uh ben edmonds there and i sat down and he, he'd already agreed to sponsor the blog and we were gonna you know discuss what to do and he said you know what i think would be fun is we should have a series of like town halls he called them at the time uh where we invite cool brewers and people from you know around the country around the world to talk about beer culture stuff and wow. not necessarily super technical Right. Uh, so, so tomorrow, which will be yesterday or, you know, sometime in the rearview mirror that by the time people hear this, but we're having our inaugural event. We're now calling them the fireside chats. Uh, 
Uh, and the people at Breakside put together a really amusing graphic that looks sort of like AI produced it. So I'm I'm amused, I'm amused by it. We're going to talk <laughs> about um, whether logger craft logger is really a thing or not. And we have uh, four brewers uh, who are kind of well known for making loggers. Uh, Jack's Abbey, Bierstadt, ba Jack's Abbey in Boston area, Bierstadt in Denver. Uh, Heater Allen here in Portland area, actually they're Minville, but um, for people far away, yeah. more like Portland. Uh, and then one brewery, uh, meanwhile, in, in Austin that actually does loggers, but they also do IPA. So he's, Will Jake was there is going to be our informant about how you try to coax people to drink your lagers at your brewery. So anyway, that's going to be fun. Uh, Sounds great. I can't, I can't decide if it is going to be like technically <laughs> the technical side. You're our producer because I'm I'm a hopeless techno illiterate. So I'm a little bit anxious about that, but um, something will happen and and then we'll know more about it after that. So man, what are the deets? What do people have to do if they want to? Well, it'll already be over by the time they hear this. So they can go to my blog and see the recording if I pulled it off. <laughs> well, that's what I mean by how do they how do they hear the recording and then in future, how do they, uh, is this something that's going to happen live if you if you're there? It is live. And, you know, yeah, you but can, I mean for the audience, like you can join live. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be a live event. I'm really encouraging people to show up live, even though everyone wants there to be a, a recording, uh, because I think it's more interesting for the participants when there's an audience, you know, you get sure. more engaged. And so yeah. it's better if they're folks there. So I, it's a fun experiment. I love doing these kinds of things with breweries and it's exciting. Oh, and then speaking of, oh, I guess we have we talked about my Vichetni? On the pod? Uh, yes. Okay. Well, never mind. We had, we had a whole pod about it, dude. Oh, that's true. Well, that's true. Not, pod about not precisely about it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you oh, threw me for a loop there. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was testing. I was testing to see okay, how, how senescent you were. Had nothing to do with being uh old man. Okay. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah, that was my bad. Yeah. So you, uh, what about it? Uh, it's a, it is actually now available uh, at the pub uh, in in Hood River. So Hood I don't River know. Freem, okay. Yeah, at Freem's Hood River location. So maybe um, when you get back from England, we can go out there, or it'll I'll I'll know a place in town where it's available. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be sweet. By the way, your your sponsors are still Freem, and, and now that Breakside, you've had it. That's right, and Guinness as well. So I have a funny I have a funny story. So the the my beloved Portland Timbers are back in season, and uh, for the first time in since they started, I've been a season ticket holder since the beginning of the MLS era, and um, for the first time, uh, we actually switched our seats, and now we're in the, the newsstand on the other side of the field. Holy it's crap! Yeah. You have to game, I got to see this because I I can walk automatically to your seats without even thinking about it. So I now know, I, I know it's a entirely new perspective. I'm still getting used to it. Haven't haven't won't give it. It's very different. Just the whole, uh -huh. not just the 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 view, but also just the whole scene and everything. Anyway, my, my point. Getting this back to beer, it was fun. I like it. It's a little bit. Uh, it's sort of a tall, narrow stand, so you're up higher. Um, uh, so you kind of look down a little more. Um, you feel a little bit more disconnected, but it's tactically, it's kind of interesting. 
Anyway, we just this is probably our last season for season tickets, so we wanted to try something different. <laughs> but the point about the beer is, there's a little um, a little burger stand uh, uh, on my section, on my level now, uh, and uh, it's kind of they have these big plastic, you know, plexiglass or perspex um, screens left over from the COVID area, so it's kind of hard to hear the people behind the screens, and they have um, beer taps. But they have a breakside and a freem tap. Both of them are generic. They don't tell you what beer, um, and uh, and it's too uh, it's too hard. They don't have it up on the screen, so it's just so I just like, well, they're both good breweries. It's gonna be fine. And so I figure if I get one breakside and one freem, uh, one will probably be an IPA and one will be a, a, a pilsner, right? Sure, and could be. Think, and, and you think it would be the breakside known for IPAs to be the IPA, and it would be freem known for the Pilsner to be the Pilsner. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Opposite. Very nice. So yeah. as a beer geek, as a beer geek, I just geeked out on that for a while. I was like, what do you know? <laughs> I ordered the Breakside. I got a Pilsner. What do you know? I ordered the Freem and I got an IPA. All of them were good beers. They're all good. Yeah. No big deal. But I just, I thought that's just like you know, playing against type. I mean, yeah. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a big fan of both those breweries, which is why it was fun to reach out and have them agree to sponsor the blog. So. Yeah, and that's and that's also the story. Like, if I see those two breweries, uh, I don't have to know much more. I'll just get a beer. I know, I know, I know, I'm gonna enjoy it. So, a lot more than the a lot more than the football, which right. is pretty dismal right now. <laughs> they got a lot of injuries. They got a lot of issues. So, oh well, yeah. Uh, and it was to your point about the weather. It was been so cold, just cold, cold, cold. So it's yeah, uh, they had to cancel the first one because of snow. So yeah, they canceled. It was gonna be on a Saturday night and it snowed out, got snowed out. There's just too much snow, they couldn't deal with it. And then they put it on a Monday night, which really sucked. Like nobody wanted to go on a Monday night, and there was a lot of seats missing and it was freezing <laughs> cold. But it was opening <laughs> night, so that was pretty fun. Very cool. I'm hoping it's been really cold in England. Uh really cold. Um, speaking of unseasonably cold. So I'm hoping it warms up there. Uh, because we'll be going on a Saturday afternoon to see Arsenal. So um, looking forward to that. But if it's cold, I'll just go sit in the pub with my 17-year-old kid and we'll just drink beer. <laughs> what I would do. <laughs> beer. Can we talk about beer just for the hell of it? Yeah. What about beer? <laughs> Wait a minute. You want to talk about beer on our podcast? I, it's just a wild idea. Oh, okay. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. A couple of <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's try that for a change. <laughs> All right, a couple of weeks back by the time you hear this portland enjoyed the return of one of its most unusual events the eighth edition of she brew as the name suggests the event celebrates women and includes two components a national female only homebrew competition and a one-day festival of beer made by women at professional breweries we're going to learn about she brew from one of the organizers jen mcpoland and hear how it has accelerated integration of women into brewing all that first all that next but first the news nice our first item concerns lager brewing a few weeks back kevin davy announced he was leaving wayfinder even if you don't live in portland you probably know davy for his cold ipa though locally wayfinder is known for its classic lagers Wayfinder hired Natalie Baldwin, who has been at Breakside, who has been Breakside's R and D brewer for years, to replace him. And Davy, 
After some mysterious silence, he announced that he'd be joining his romantic partner, Lisa Allen, at Heater Allen, where they would be launching a separate line called Gold Dot. He described it as a luxury brand, but did note that it would be a place he could make cold IPA. Heater Allen famously has never made a cold IPA in its 16 years of life. Or any kind of IPA. Any kind of IPA, yeah. Uh, so that's actually kind of big news in terms of like power couples. You know, <laughs> they don't get more powerful than those two. So uh, Yeah. As we mentioned before, Heater Allen is a brewery in McMinnville, like the first one of the OG lager breweries and um, lager yeah. craft brewers. Breweries right. In, uh, in Oregon. Uh, yeah, that's interesting and exciting. It is interesting and exciting, and it's kind of cool that I was able to work in Natalie Baldwin's uh, uh, move to Breakside because she is one of those folks who's at Shebrew. She she has yeah. been for a long time, but um, one of the one of the 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 several now women who have taken over head brewer jobs at at major breweries in Portland. So that's cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. Gold Dot will be like a luxury brand within a brand. Is that the idea as you understand it? That's what I understand. Yeah. Um, I think because Heater Allen has such an incredibly tight focus uh, and actually a fairly tight line, I think they didn't want to dilute it. Um, but of course, Kevin, you know, is this long time, I think he's been brewing 15, 20 years brewer. So uh, I think they probably, they're both great kind of really well-established brewers and they probably need a little area to play in. So I think that's what this will be. Yeah, you think with bringing on some new, new, um, new brewer, new ideas, new background. Yeah, it's time to yeah. it's time to maybe expand and try new things. Lisa's father, Rick Allen, was the one who founded the brewery, and he recently retired. So that that it's kind of a, a changing of the guard. Yeah, well, excellent. That sounds great. Yeah. So the next story came to us via British writer Pete Brown. He mentioned a new beer that is taking UK pubs by storm. I'll check out that claim when I go. Uh, you can find it by looking for the red tap handle with an old tiny bearded man in a checkered vest called Madri Excepcional. It appears to be an old Spanish brand. In fact, it's an invention of Molson Coors who launched it in 2020 and brews it in Burton. <laughs> the brand is designed much like Mexican beers in the United States to enchant people with dreams of palm trees and sunshine. And it's working. Madri is available on draft in more than 7,500 outlets, as well as in cans and bottles sold in stores. Is that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? Like, uh, no, no, no be well, uh, it'll be interesting. I wonder if I'll see it there. It sounds like I probably will, but yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Mexican beer in the United States have one of the big success stories of, of big beer. Right. But the so well, let's try to let's try to re redo this in, in Europe. But it would it would be like uh, Budweiser introducing, you know, like Viva la Mexico and exactly. pretending that it was a Mexican brand. I mean, they're pretending yeah. it's everybody believes it's a Mexican brand or a Spanish brand, which is so bizarre to me that they've managed to pull. You know, I mean, we like. We, we actually have Corona and Modelo and Tecate that are here. And that's what people are buying. They're not buying a weird invented thing that's made in St. Louis. It's just it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It seems like people have been sort of bending the, the reality for a long time. Like go all the way back to the blue moon. It, I know it's, it wasn't, didn't claim to be Belgian, but it, uh, 
it also didn't claim to be Coors or whatever. Who, who brews it? I can't even remember now. Got it, Coors. Okay. <laughs> so, so all these little like sneaky, sneaky things I think are just part of the part of the marketing process. And unless unless hunters demand authenticity, then again, well, well, so here's here's why it makes sense to me. Because you know, if you go to if you go to England and you want a mass market lager, you're getting what like a Carlsberg or a or a Heineken or a or a uh, Bud even, right? So Stella, I can, I I, uh, yeah, Stella, yeah, that's a, another big one. So yeah, so it kind of makes sense. Let's try to play against type. Let's try to sort of evoke this romantic. Precisely, as you say, this idea of warm, warm sunshine, warm sunny beaches, and palm trees, and yeah, and the, the, and the analog an affable, an affable. Wait a minute, what's the name of it? Oh, it doesn't say. Just a bearded man in a checkered vest. Yeah, <laughs> affable guy named Pedro who's brewing your beer in the sunshine, and yeah, Seville or something. I don't know. The analog is pretty tight too. I mean, uh, we go to Mexico for our son, and mm-hmm. you know our our sparkly beer, and they go to Spain. For the same yeah. thing, both, so you come back and drink, especially drink people in beef. Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and by the way, this isn't this isn't too dissimilar to the. Um, uh, we talked about this a few pods ago. Um, Kona beers. Um, uh, wait, it's not Longboard. Which one is it? Big wave. Big wave. Yeah. So big wave, sort of being a big hit. Um, brewed in the brewed in the in the um, in the mainland and and uh, selling the idea of. Of Hawaii, totally. Yeah, it's it's. I think COVID has really made people want to be in sunny places, and so if they can't be in them, they'll drink the beer that yeah. is either from them or purports to be, or at least evokes the sunny place. I guess. Yeah. The saddest thing is that really, if you're in the UK, the beer you should be drinking if you want to, if you want that, is uh, Red Stripe. That's true. Yeah. yeah that's to true. dream of Jamaica, drink a Red Stripe. Spain is a lot closer than Jamaica. Yeah, I know it's true, but it's not as romantic. Come on. Well, I'll leave that to the listener. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably move this on to uh, to the main event, which is All right. um, your uh, interview about Shebrew. Would you like to set us up? Uh, the only thing I'll say is that I regret that we didn't get this out before Shebrew. Um, I did not pull it off. Um, I actually recorded the interview before um, Shebrew, but like two days before Shebrew, and then we couldn't yeah. do the outro, so the whole thing kind of. But uh, it's a, I think it's a, an incredibly important event um, because in the period of time, which is actually because of COVID, it's the eighth annual, or it's the eighth edition, but there was some COVID thing. So it's really been a decade. We've gone from having a few women who are working in professional breweries to having a whole bunch of them and including um several who are are you know leading breweries and so it's it's become not just a celebration of women in brewing but sort of a way to chart the progress we've been making uh and especially last decade uh, forms kind of a nice uh you know frame of reference so it's uh i think it's an appropriate time to to look at where women are and 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 celebrate them so it's a i'm i'm excited to do this jen is uh kind of a legend around town and it was fun to talk to her too so this was a good interview i think people will enjoy it great well let's hear it
I'd like to introduce Jen McPolin to our show. Jen is one of the organizers of SheBrew, a national homebrew competition and beer fest that celebrates women brewing beer and making cider. Jen is one of those wonderful advocates for beer who makes events like SheBrew work. She is herself an award-winning homebrewer, volunteer coordinator for many local beer events. I've seen her do incredible work as a steward at the Oregon Beer Awards and the proprietor of McPolander's, her garage turned tap room. SheBrew, in its eighth year in 2023, has been an important event in both shining a spotlight on the work women do in the industry, as well as giving drinkers a chance to sample their work. The event honors equity and supports women and the LGBTQ community, and proceeds for SheBrew go to the Human Rights Campaign and the Oregon Brew Group. Thank you for coming and joining me. All right. I have to apologize that Patrick's not here, so you you just have me. That's all right. I'm happy to be here. I have kind of wanted to have someone from Shebrew on here for a while. Uh, it's a really important event, and I, I was actually talking to a brewer in Seattle who'd never even heard of it. So it does feel to me like it needs to have a you know a bit more attention uh, for for folks out there. Lots of people in Portland don't know it exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's. <laughs> Another reason why I'm trying to change this. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit, let's go chronologically to start with, tell us how it got started, whose idea it was, and how you decided to shape it the way you did. Yeah. Um, so it started 10 years ago because we've skipped two years. So I feel like that probably was 2013. Um, and at the time, I was on the board of directors for the Oregon Brew Crew, as was um, Jamie Cody. So she was our comp chair. And her wife was part of the um, human rights campaign. And it was actually Stefani, her wife, it was her idea. She wanted to come up with a new fundraiser for the human rights campaign and was aware that there was a lot of um, female homebrewers and some female brewers in town. And it was her idea to, it was mostly based on homebrewers at the time. Uh, to bring homebrews together and some pro brews and make a, just a fundraiser out of it. And the first year was at the Q Center, which was, if you've ever been there, it's a very tiny building. Um, but we had 10 homebrewers from, from the jump. We've always had 10, between six and 10 homebrewers every year. And then we had a handful of brewers like John Harris that donated beer the first year. Lisa Allen's been with us since the very beginning, though. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it started off as a very tiny little fundraiser. And so then let me just, just, let me just say Lisa uh, Allen, who is the uh, head brewer at uh, Heater Allen, for those yep. who don't know. Yes, uh, Lisa Allen from Heater Allen. Yeah, she's been with us uh, since year one. Okay. And she was the only pro brewer um, that we had on tap at the first sheet brew. Okay. Yeah, yeah well, I, I definitely want to talk about, uh, I'm, I didn't know it was a decade. Uh, so it's going to be a nice little framing mechanism for us to talk about how things have changed. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, so at the first event, it was not uh, pro brewers who were serving their beer. It was just the home brewers. Yep. And was there, was there a homebrew competition at the time or was it just? There uh, wasn't. So we didn't do the homebrew competition until this is the sixth year. So the, the third year we started the homebrew comp. So the first couple of years, it was just, we had, it was a people's choice, which we've always done at the festival. So it was 10 homebrewers. Everybody got to come in, try the homebrew. Um, they would have tickets for the pro brew, just like we do now. And then they would get to vote on their favorite homebrew. So that's okay. been, that's been carried through every single fest. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, and talk about when the pro brewers came on and how that developed. It really kind of happened naturally. The second year we had Sonia Marie Lycom come in from Lycom Brewing. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, it just kind of, we, 
I started just seeking out more just to see if there was anybody out there. And um, year by the fourth, let's see, the first year we were at the Q Center, the second two years we were at the Jupiter. And then um, and then we took a year off and <clears throat> Stefani had left HRC and that's when Shannon Scott had joined HRC had heard about Shebrew and was like, let's, let's do this right. Let's make it big. Mm-hmm. And that was also the year that Lee Hedgeman of the Barrel B um, and formerly of brewing all over. Um, she was uh, the president of the brew crew that year. So it was, um, that was the year that we decided to, to add um, a homebrew competition because we already had homebrewers. Uh, by that year, I think we were up to about 12 or 16 women brewers. And some of them were just women that happened to be in the cellar. And, um, we'd encourage people to, you know, ask, you know, maybe they'll let you brew a beer for this. And, right. and that's kind of how it rolled for a long time, uh-huh. like it just got bigger and bigger. And I think it was by, let's see, we did. Yeah. We did two years of Jupiter. And then when we skipped a year, then we went to Buckman coffee factory for two years, which is uh, Marigold coffee, but it's owned by two sisters and they let us use the space for free. Um, by the time we were in our second year there, um, it was all women brewers. So up to that point, it was a mix still of like people like John Harris that always supported equality and always supported Shebrew from the beginning. Um, by that fourth or fifth year, we, um, actually stopped having anybody, any beers that weren't brewed by women because uh-huh. we didn't, we didn't need them anymore. Um, but I think that year we had 16, maybe 20 was the year that we had all women the first time. So the, uh, the, the home or the, the beer fest component is local, mm-hmm. but the, uh, homebrew component is the, the competition is national. Is that right? Yeah. So the competition, we typically get, um, entries from about 23 States across the nation. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. we get quite a bit from, um, the East coast. We get, everything from North Carolina, Florida always has a really good showing. Um, We've had, yeah, just states all over the union, which is pretty fun to see. So is there, are there very many competitions, uh, homebrew competitions for women? Is this a a thing that you pioneered or? No, (laughs) strangely, uh, Queen of Beer has been around for, I want to say it's close to 20 years. Hmm. Um, So that's out of California and it's always been really small. I mean, I've been a homebrewer for 15, 16 years. And I didn't know about it for probably the first eight or nine years I was brewing. Um, because it's, it was such a small little competition and it's actually still fairly small. Mm-hmm. Um, we support one another, but we were the second. Uh, and now there's a third one that just started last year in Washington. And I had a woman reach out to me from California. She was entering Shebrew and she was like, Hey, I, I want to do this with my club. I would love to talk to you about how you went about this and how I could do it. Very so cool. even that's starting to grow now, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, I think most people who engage this, this event will engage it on the, on the, the festival side. And I definitely want to talk about this, but I'm, I'm kind of fascinated. I'm, I'm also a long time home brewer and uh, it's it, honestly, it's one of the most masculine kind of hobbies. When I got into it, um, I actually, I went to a, a, a brew crew, meeting mm-hmm. at Steinbart's and I was not a very good brewer and I didn't know very much and I was doing extract brew and the testosterone level scared me off I mean it's <laughs> like you know you you had to bring your your a game and I yeah. didn't have an a game I was still <laughs> at a c game 
Um, so I'm curious, since you've been brewing this long, uh, mm. how how has that changed, and how is the vibe at the the brew crew? So we should also mention that the Oregon Brew Crew is this venerable uh, homebrew club, really really important institution, also mm. a huge supporter of beer activities in in the city, um, really an important kind of city institution as well as this old home. So yeah, how how's it changed for women? Um, well, the year I joined, my uh, my friend Yvette Uber, which some people will remember Yvette, she moved away a few years ago, but she's fabulous. Yeah, uh, totally she, yeah she, we worked at the Horse Brass forever, and that's actually how I met her. I was a regular at the Horse Brass, and her and I got to know each other there. But she was already on the board of directors in the brew crew when I joined in 2004. Um, but at the time, there was a handful of women. Um, but for me, I mean... I'm just always been that kind of person that just is unaffected by masculinity and testosterone. And I just like do my thing. Right. <laughs> it's about your right game. <laughs> um, but it's, it definitely, it's, it has been challenging over the years to draw a lot of women out. Like a lot of the wives, it's like, you could be doing this too. You know, you might even be better at this than, than he is. Um, but so much of it has to do with showing people that it's possible. So, you know, that taught me how to brew and then I would brew and then she and I would brew and we would win ribbons. And then other people, other women could see that and be like, Oh, that's something that I could do too, which is very much like what's happened for the pro brewers too. It's um, the more women you see doing it, the more you can see yourself doing it. Because if all you see is dudes, then it's like, Oh, that's a guy thing. That's not, a, that's not for me. Um, yeah. So it takes a certain kind of person without encouragement to go for it anyway. Right. Yep. Yeah, I think that is a great segue into the 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 fest side and the pro brewers. Um, let's get an overview of the fest itself now, and before we we do a retrospective, uh, you have a lot of breweries and a lot of beer and a lot of women brewers bringing beer this year. So you want to tell us what folks can expect? It's um, we reached a point. So Jeremy, we joke that he's the. So there's technically there's four of us that run the festival. There's uh, me, myself. Uh, there's Shannon from HRC, myself, my next door neighbor Christine, who's a graphic designer. She takes care of like all the website and she does the logos and the posters and stuff. And then Jeremy Day of takes care of all the kegs. All right. <laughs> That's what he's always done at festivals. Anyway, he's very so good at. Folks, this is your husband. Yes, yeah, Jeremy Landers. Um, he's he's our beer ninja. All right. And. Uh, I promised him once I got to 45, I would stop um, because it was getting out of control. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this year I didn't, I didn't have to try that hard because the last several years, for one thing, the, the women brewers are already like sending me like, Oh, I've got this person. I heard about this person. Uh, <clears throat> this year I created, it's really hard to track these people down because it's a lot of people. It's a lot of information. So I created a spreadsheet that they could fill out themselves this year, as opposed to me filling it all out. And I added a tab to say brewers to contact. And I had multiple people going in there and being like, oh, I heard about this person in this city. And I'm like, even if you don't have their contact information, let me know. Um, Because now there's even more out there that we're not even aware of. Um, But the cool thing is they... um, they're seeking them out for me mm-hmm. uh, and sending them my way. And then it's just a matter of me reaching out. But I, I have, I've also had people like cold call me and just be like, Hey, I've heard about this. I'd like to be a part of it. Um, which is super cool as well. At some point we're going to have to like 
put a limit on this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so what's the, who, who's at the fest? Like how many brewers are there and how many brewers? Um, so we have 10 home brewers um, <clears throat> from the Pacific Northwest. Most of them are Oregon. I got a couple from Washington. So that's an invitational. It's um, eight beers and two ciders actually. And there's a Gruit in there. Tori Hansman from the brew crew makes incredible Gruits. Um, so there's the 10 of them. And then we have 45 beers and ciders, uh, but it's 50 brewers and cider makers. So as an example, like Maddie and Lily are both at um, 10 barrel and they brewed a, a beer together. And it was the same thing with um, Becca Lynn and um, Maggie from Bonnie Burt. <clears throat> but we've got two, two gluten-free beers, six ciders, and the rest are all beer. Okay. Uh, and I mean, it runs the gamut, but even, um, Daniel Redman, who used to brew for Hopworks and had brewed several times for she brew, she left Portland and she's the head brew at Rubens up in Seattle. And she almost, uh, brewed for us last year, but she had reached out to me this year and she is bringing her beer down, um, from Seattle. And then there's another brewer from Seattle, Catherine Gooding, who used to be an award-winning Shebrew brewer for on the homebrew side, has now gone pro and has brought her beer for the last two years. So the person that I was talking to in Seattle who did not know about Shebrew was Adam Robbins of Rubens. So I bet he knows about them now, about it now. So Nobody knows awesome. now. It, it was a couple of years ago. So oh, that's um, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. It's great. Yeah, I feel like every town should have a Shebrew. It seems like a great way to uh, bring you know, bring some focus on who's making the beer. Well, and it's funny you say that because um, we're one of the most successful fundraisers for the human rights campaign. In fact, Shannon goes to DC every year and usually brings back an award for Shebrew, which we laugh about because there's like three of four of us that put the whole damn thing on. <laughs> um, and they talk about wanting to do it in other cities, but the challenge is um, having the right connections. And, you know, it's, we're just in a, in a unique situation that I've been in the orbit of the industry for so long, um, that I'm connected well enough to be able to do this. Cause it, without that, and I thought about like, maybe like if they use the guilds in different States, they might be able to pull it off, but it's, um, it's a lot of, it, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a, it's a, it's a labor of love for all four of us. <laughs> right. You need somebody like you who has been in this swimming in these waters for a, a long time. time. Yeah. Everybody. yeah. It really helps. And it helps that Portland's a small town. And that know. does help. Yep. <laughs> Although so, like I got, I got hit up by um, a cidery in Yakima that they're coming there too. And it's, um, it's definitely expanding. And one of the brewers from Olympia came down and, and judged for Shebrew. And I think she's going to brew for us next year. So I feel like Washington's going to be, if Shebrew's going to expand, Washington's going to be the next. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. There were kind of sister states. So it yep. uh, would make sense. Um, it, are there guidelines if you want to submit a beer to do you like shepherd you know we have everybody's doing a pilsner this year do you want to not do a pilsner that kind of thing or you know it's funny i have not had to do that at all um because one thing i will say about women brewers is they are so creative and what they bring to the table is so unique it's um we have it on the website if you go to the brewer section yeah. I have it all up. I updated it as I got it. And now all of them are in there <clears throat> and it seriously runs the gamut. Like there's two cold IPAs in there. There's always going to be a couple of whatever's fancy. Sure. I think there's a couple of hazies. 
Um, but there's also, you know, everything from like a pineapple vanilla cider to a blackberry hazy, um, gluten-free to, um, there's a, God, let me think there's, yeah, there's an ESB, there's, um, farmhouse ale. There's a couple of regular IPAs in there. I think, um, there's a Pilsner, uh, and my favorite is, you know, then you get somebody like Laura Hargrave at Great Notion, which is known for all their like crazy extract, like super wild beers. And she sure. traditionally, like the last two years in a row, she's brought like the most classic styles. Last year, she just did this beautiful ESB. And this year she's doing a dry Irish stout. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like. I feel like they want that brewery kind of wants to be known for those styles, but nobody wants, nobody goes there to drink them. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, um, it so runs the gamut. It, there, there's a, a Goza in there. There's, um, uh, oh gosh, there's a couple of sours. It's yeah, it's kind of everything. And I've thought about that and I, I've worried about that from time to time, but it has just never been ever an issue. Like there's just, it's everything you could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's look back at that the 10 years you've been doing this or you know uh the beer fest didn't start until a little bit more recently but um you know what has changed uh in in the period of time obviously there's more women brewers but just in terms of um how women brewers are accepted in the industry how drinkers accept women brewers which I know can be an issue uh talk to women brewers who you know, sexism is real. (laughs) Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) I feel Um, like that has changed a lot too. Um, It's way more accepting, like the festival has grown a lot. And even the, um, the breweries, like I'll give people shit. Like um, I was, I think it was last year I called Shane over at level and I was like, do you have a woman in the brewery yet? And he goes, no, but I want to. (laughs) Um. And, you know, Barrelick was hiring and they snatched up Kaysen like immediately. It's, they're also, this has allowed people to see just how talented women brewers are, um, you know, to come to a fest and, you know, try all these beers and see like, damn, these women really know what the hell they're doing. And it's also allowed a lot of women that have been in the QA department or um, uh, in the cellar to get into the brewery and show what they're capable of. And not only show what they're capable of, but also discover that, oh, I did this kind of like as a lark, something fun to do, like, oh, I get to brew beer for she brew. And I really like doing this. And now I'm going to move on and actually become a brewer or a head brewer. Or I've seen assistant brewers, you know, take over for the the head brewers as they move on. Like they just like, they'll move on to another brewery and then they leave another woman on the brew deck, which is amazing. Yeah. But it's, I feel like it's way more accepting than it was once was. And is there still sexism out there? Of course. Sure. sure. <laughs> I you remember know, Natalie telling me when she worked at, um, when she worked at Burnside that people would call and ask for the brewer and be say things like, oh, sweetie, can you get me the brewer? And she'd be like, yeah, I'm the brewer. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that's, that kind of uh, sexism is, is dying off. It's less you than it was. Yeah, that's right. One thing that's um, true about brewers in general is that, except for a few rare and notable agents, they're not out in the front. You know, they do their job. And when you go to a beer fest, you don't go to taste X brewer's beer. You go there for the brewery, right? So how do the brewers 
feel about having you know it's their name on it it's their beer it's not just the brewery's beer it's their beer how, how does that change the whole dynamic um that's a great question actually i've never really thought to ask them that i will say they um they're out there they're you know they're at the fest they're drinking the beers they're um they're interacting with uh all of the patrons um and I, the last couple of years, I've started doing a slideshow during the festival. So throughout the fest, it'll be on a big screen and it just cycles through like each brewer, you know, where they're from, a little blurb about them. And I know they, they really enjoy that because A, it just gives them a little bit more attention, which oftentimes they don't get. And B, then everybody at the festival can see like, oh, that's her right there. And now mm-hmm. I'm trying her beer. So it's just, it's a different level of um, connection too, which I think um, a lot of times we naturally want, but yeah, I have never thought about it that way, but that it's true. Usually it's just like, oh, that's a Breakside beer as opposed to, you know, that's Natalie's beer from Breakside. Like she made that beer. Yeah. Yeah. That's Wayfinder right. now. <laughs> that's right. And actually yeah. it's becoming a little bit of a thing that women have injected and probably because of Shebrew uh, is an attention to the fact these are craftspeople who are making these beers. So when uh, Whitney Burnside leaves 10 Barrel and moves over to her own brewery and when Maddie comes into 10 Barrel, you know, and when, yeah, Natalie just left uh, to go to Wayfinder, it's a little bit more notable. And so we kind of tend to track those moves a little bit more closely. So it's bringing attention maybe to the brewing staff generally, which is also a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's happened a lot. It's another fun thing that's happened this year too, is I've had other like breweries reach out and be like, well, could we just, could the, the women in our brewery like put something in? And I was like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Was- I saw that on, yeah. on the list. So how does that work? Do they like work with the brewery staff to come up with an idea? Like they want to, they decide on a beer and. Yeah. It kind of depends. Sometimes there's already a woman somewhere in the brewery, whether they're an assistant or whether they're in the, they're in the cellar. And so they kind of lead it. Um, but I've, I've seen it be done in different ways. Um, but like gigantic, this is their first year. Ben had reached out to me and said, Hey, the women of gigantics would love to do a beer. Would you be willing to have them in? I was like, absolutely for sure. Um, but oftentimes they'll get advice from like one of the brewers and then they get to go in and actually make it themselves. But that is actually, that's turned into like, definitely I've seen people go from that to actually brewing jobs. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's how sometimes it starts. Even like we, the good day, Oregon thing that we did, um, I took as much as I didn't want to drive to Salem on a Monday morning. We drove down to Salem because Jen Kent's at McMenamin's Thompson, she's been brewing there for 18 years. I believe she's the longest brewer in Oregon with female brewer. And she started out in the kitchen and was just kind of interested. And the brewer was like, yeah, let me show you some stuff. And then she ended up becoming the brewer and she's been there ever since. Yeah, that's because of the event having the the homebrew and the professional brewers the two components i'm i'm curious uh it's always been a long pipeline people get interested in beer and they start making it at home and then they decide to go pro is there a connection there to like getting your your foot in the door or that's the wrong metaphor Uh, (laughs) starting by making it at home is that a way women begin to develop comfort with the idea of being a professional brewer or is that just the same as with men or I feel like that's the same as with men. Like you've got somebody like Catherine Gooding at flying bike who started out as a home brewer and eventually transitioned into a pro brewer situation. Um, Natalie, um, 
she was a home brewer before she became a pro. And then you've got other people that never, never brewed before in their lives. And they just like somebody like Jen Kent, who just happened to be in the, in the realm of something like she was around it and was like, this is interesting. This is cool. This is somewhere where I could be creative. I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. So, and I, so I feel like that is more along the lines of how it usually ends up with men too. Right. Yeah, I do too. I just, I, you know, early on, uh, you know, if you go back decades, more people came into brewing from the homebrew side. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now that's more professionalized and we see fewer, I think fewer entering that way. So I was curious about that. Uh, I think we need to talk about Portland and women in Portland because we've got Shebrew, but we also have Pink Boots Society. What, what, <laughs> what's the story with women in brewing? Uh, do you have any theories about that? Um, well, brewing is a very, um, it's a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of physical women in, in Portland too. Uh, Jen Kent, another great example, just cause I, we just had an interview with her. That was the other thing that she drew her to it is she liked, phys- she likes physical labor. She likes to be, um, physical and, you know, we're outdoorsy people here typically in Oregon and, um, so, but the, the creative aspect, I think has a lot to do with it because there's, and that's one of the things that I love about homebrewing is that's my creative outlet. Like I love to write a recipe. I love to the same way I cook. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this for the first time. I'm going to look at like 10 different recipes of like how somebody does that. And then I'm going to make my own version of it. Um, and, you know, we're a little weird in Portland. So we, you know, you get a lot of freaking weird ass beers in Portland too, and it's accepted. So I think that leans into it a bit. The funny thing about, I know, I know Terry Farendorf very well, but what's funny is Pink Boots and Shebrew have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like the only crossover you see is when, you know, you'll see Pink Boot beers that get brought to Shebrew, but we have absolutely nothing to do with each other. <laughs> which, which emphasizes the point even more that. Yeah. Um, something in the water i guess I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, there's a lot of crossover and there's a lot non-crossover so yeah it's a uh, there's just a whole lot of women that are into beer in this town i know you travel a lot uh is there anything in the drinking culture that's different in terms of women and drinking beer you know just the the the, the way we as a city engage beer than other places that would mm-hmm. have anything to account for that you have any theories about well, that I don't know. I mean, the, the traveling that we do usually, I mean, when we go tropical, we're usually drinking something like Pacifico or whatever's local. (laughs) (laughs) And, but you know, when we went to Germany and when we were over in Europe, like I definitely see plenty of women. If, if that's like one of the main things that is made there, that's, I mean, everybody's drinking it. Like when you're in, in a country that drinks a lot of wine, the men are drinking wine. And, you know, when you're in a place where there's a lot of beer, everybody drinks beer. So I think, you know, culturally it just depends on what, um, what is normal. And here I feel like everything is normal. You know, you've got your cider drinkers, you've got your beer drinkers, you've got your wine drinkers. I work in cocktails, you know, I work for straight away cocktails. So you got your cocktail drinkers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's also a city that likes its alcohol, I guess. So we got very that. true. You are we are equal <laughs> opportunity alcoholics. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, as we go out, is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to tell people about Shebrew uh, that's mm-hmm. important to know? Um, it's um. 
The festival itself is super family friendly. And it's also a completely different vibe than other beer festivals. It is super chill. It's not broy at all. <laughs> um, you find like guys with babies strapped to their chests with their, you know, their girlfriend or their wife having a beer next to them. Um, but we have uh, this year we were at the red, which is a big step up for us. Like we went and it was like, oh, I feel like we've arrived as a, as a festival now. But we're um, we're going to have some local female makers as well. So the food trucks are women owned, but it's um, it's just really a celebration of of women and creativity and Portland as a whole. So I um, it's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, as the festival evolves and we hopefully begin to reach parity with women in the brew house uh because of the ways that humans are different um do you think there will still be a purpose for she brew like the way we celebrate things differently <laughs> it's not broy um uh, you know sometimes you end one of these conversations by saying you know we hope we don't have to have she brew but it seems like it's a pretty special event that may be a little bit distinctive well, yeah, it is special. It is distinctive. And much as I'd love to say, I don't think we're, you know, we're going to reach a point where we don't need it anymore. Um, that's a long way off. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a long I way think. off before, before we're to a point where we don't need to li- uplift women and, um, and demonstrate that they're, they're doing some pretty badass stuff too. <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. Well, Let's hope we get there. And I, I, I personally hope that we continue to celebrate diversity and, and the way people do different things differently. Uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun thing to go to, you know, you go to any brewery and the brewer always thinks differently about beer. That's why we like go to all these different breweries. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, diversity just enriches everything. Absolutely. Well, Jen McPoland, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate having you. And uh, we're hoping to... Uh, go to Shebrew uh, this year and many years to come. All right. Well, hopefully I'll see you on Sunday. All right. Yep. I'm planning a show. All right. See you then. Okay, Jeff. Well, the one advantage of uh, airing this episode, uh, airing this interview after the event is that you went and attended the event. So uh, how was it? It was very cool. Uh, it is a, it is really a celebration and you feel that celebratory mood. Um, the, the, uh, I think the, the attendance has has shifted. I think it was probably more predominantly women um, in the early days, and now it's still more. There are more women there than there would be at a regular fest, and the vibe is different. But um, I think at, I think at, as another kind of testament to how much change has happened, uh, people no longer think of women brewed beer as something that is only for women or whatever. People now just regard it as good beer. And so it's a beer festival. <laughs> I saw a lot of I saw a lot of the, the bearded guys walking around that uh, get normal beard from beer festivals. Uh, so that was actually kind of cool. It's it's cool to see this going into a phase of norm, you know, becoming part of the norm. Because um, I know having covered women and beer for a long time, uh, many men are not accepting women. We're not accepting women brewers at the start. So it's nice to see that shit. But the other thing is, um, as Jen mentioned, uh, although it was really focused on women, uh, they want to be welcoming of the LGBTQ community. And that was in evidence. Um, so it was a more, you know, a more culturally rich environment. That was fun. And of course the beer was awesome, uh, which is no surprise, uh, because it's good Portland beer and, um, I think if I had to 
if I were compelled to identify a favorite, uh, there was a <laughs> a kind of well, smoothie sour is the right word to describe <laughs> it. Threshold had a beer. So Threshold, Sarah and Jarek Zismanski, he is from Poland and, and Sarah has been there. There's apparently a dessert that's a, uh, a chocolate club covered plum and they made a mm. smooth sour kind of thing like that that would taste like that. So it's a it's a kind of beer that you like or you don't like, depending on if you like that kind of beer or not. But it was extremely well made. It had wonderful, rich mouthfeel. Uh, it had the the plumminess and especially the chocolatiness. It was not it was not a dark beer. Um, it was like plum colored. Uh, so the chocolate was sneaky that way. Um, but it was very well balanced and really delicious. So I, I love that. Um, Excellent. Very good. I think I think it was Steeplejack that had a great dunkel too. So that was another good one. So it was nice. fun. Great beer fast. People should go next year. Come to Portland. Go to Sheepwood. Where was it held? It was held at a place called The Red, which is an event space in Southeast Portland. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's switch to the mailbag because we actually have a mailbag. We have a mailbag. Have a mailbag. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, this note comes from Brett Marchant. Brett Marchant writes, I thought I'd let you know of two cask engines I found recently in Portland. Well, sort of new. One is at Higgins. Uh, they've had an engine for years, but I've never seen it used, even for a year, few years before COVID. I have a code into that, but I'll finish in a second. Uh, I was there last week and they were pouring Ecliptic's Capella Porter. Very nice. And the bartender was excited to serve it and talk about it. The second was a culmination. I was there Saturday and noticed their engine. They didn't have anything pouring out of it then, but the bartender said they recently had their English pale ale on and that that was still on regular tap. Uh, anyway, he says he keeps a working list of any place in town with an engine, but always want to support places that have one and spread the word. So here we go, spreading the word. Um, yeah. I had the quote right, about- right place to mention. Yeah, which is Higgins, well, for me famously, has had a cask engine forever. And it's one of the very first places, um, actually, it's probably the, the place where the first time I really appreciated the difference. Mm. And oddly, and ironically, it was not, not a beer that you associate with it at all. I went there for dinner once and they had uh, Ninkazi's um, uh, Tricera hops. They're, they're like double IPA. task. <laughs> but they were serving it on cask and it really changed the, the nature of the beer uh, fairly dramatically, not, not a kind of beer you'd associate with cask necessarily, but it just made me appreciate for how different uh, a beer on cask could be. And in that case, I felt like it really softened um, the beer, which is odd because you think that CO2 probably would, but um, uh, I just thought it was wonderful and flavorful. I think mostly what I was getting was a super fresh Tricera hops served to me with all of the amazing Hoparona. And that was pretty early on. This was, this was back in the day. Right. Um, and so, uh, uh, it was, it was kind of a, a mind opening experience. So, uh, so they, they, they have had a cask engine for a long time and they've used it and they've in general used it thoughtfully and, and Higgins is a, you know, a fine dining restaurant that's paired, paired beer with food for a couple of decades now. And it's a neat place to go. Totally. Yeah. I think it points to the way in which there's a supply demand thing happening here. So I think there probably are a few engines kicking around that have been basically moribund for years or decades, but now yeah. people are making 
more cask. So you've got a supply, you can actually get a, uh, a cask in, um, you know, get, getting, you install your engine, but nobody's making cask ale. So, you know, it never goes. And, and now we're, now that's shifting. And I did a quick little bit of math in my head. And I think there are 18 at a minimum, there are 18 tap handles serving cask right now in Portland. Um, and that probably is a low ball because I was working with my, my pitiful memory. Um, but that's really good. Uh, five years ago, there's probably like three or four. So we're really on the move. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's always exciting. Every time I walk into a place and there's a, there's a beer engine, I'm super excited. And I immediately <laughs> order whatever beers on. There, there was one cask uh, at Shebrew, and that pitiful memory is kicking in. I can't. It was. Oh, actually, I think that was a steeplejack. I don't know. That make that would make sense. It would make sense, but now they're, they're pretty dedicated to cask, which is exciting as well. It is. That's true. But I. But then that means that Dunkel was not from steeplejack so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what's going on <laughs> all right well with that, with that rousing out there well, anyway thank you brett for um uh for writing in um i encourage everyone out out there to um write with your comments suggestions questions uh thoughts random as they may be uh, we'd love we'd love, we love to hear from you Okay, well, it's probably about time to wrap up this baby. So uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, as I mentioned, we'd love to hear from you. You can send your questions or comments to jeff at beerbonablog.com or on Twitter or also on Instagram, both at the handle at beervonapod. Uh, Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at Beervana. Patrick tweets at Beeronomics, and I expect you to be Instagramming yourself with a with a photo of Madri. Uh, from uh, okay, all right, yes, I will your... go on the search for Madri uh, <laughs> in London, and I'll, I'll I'll try to remember to Instagram every pint. Every pint Very I, have. I I forget it. I'm an old man. I just the Instagram isn't in my consciousness, so I forget about the Insta. But um, but yeah, I'll try to get on that. Get it's on a little it. bit, um, a little bit more about our Instagram, but we'll 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 reinvest in it. Take us on your adventure with you. I will. I'll, I'll do right. my best. You can even you can even shoot a shot from uh, the arena when you're seeing Arsenal. Oh yes, definitely. We'll do that. All right, with my beer in hand. Excellent. Very good. All right, All right Jeff. All right, Patrick. I'll see you on the flip side, maybe on the other side of England. Uh, sounds good. Uh, we have nothing to cheers from, so I was about to say yeah. cheers, but I don't know if that's. Oh, I'll say, say too. I will say cheers. You can say it. I think it's fine. Uh, cheers. Cheers.